0: Because love listens, and love learns, and then I want you to notice this morning, we listen to the Lord, we learn from the Lord, so that we can begin to look. We begin to look. Look for opportunities to share this love. Look for opportunities to not deepen the darkness, (laughs) but to be lights shining in the darkness, and the darker The times become the brighter the light. Would you agree with that? And my friends, I want you to know, do not doubt this for a moment. Do not doubt it for a moment. There has never, never been a greater opportunity for the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the light of his love to shine in our world and in our country than now. Do not be overcome with fear. God's not given us that spirit of fear. He said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell won't stand against it. And we are here to be light in the darkness, and we can, we will, by God's grace. What an opportunity we have. And we have that opportunity because of the reality of something called love. I mean the real deal. Love. It's the love that Jesus expresses. Notice in verse 27. Listen to Jesus as he shares with us the expression of love. He says in verse 27, I say to you who hear, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Now, remember the context here. Jesus is speaking as a king. He is establishing His kingdom. His kingdom is not of this world, but His kingdom is in this world. It is a spiritual kingdom in the hearts and lives of those who know and follow Him. He has come down from the mountain. He has prayed. He has appointed 12 men to be the apostles, the foundation of this kingdom that He will establish on earth that will become known as the church. And now he is laying down the founding laws of his kingdom. He's coming down like the new Moses. But he doesn't have to have the tablets in his arms because he is the word of God. He is the fulfillment of God's law. And he's speaking as the lawgiver and he says the first law of his kingdom is love. Love. And it's not just love, but it is, though it's a kingdom of peace, it starts with a bombshell. Love your enemy. Love your enemy. Now this makes it very clear that the kingdom Jesus is sitting, setting up is a very different kingdom. It is a very different kind of kingdom. The first law is love. Now, we don't know exactly the word that Jesus used in his own language when he said to love. Jesus being uh, from Judea, being Jewish, would have spoken in that time in Aramaic. That would have been our Lord's native language on earth. He spoke Aramaic. So we don't know the exact word he used, but we do know the word... That the gospel writers chose by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to express what Jesus meant. They wrote in the Greek language. And they used a very specific word because what Jesus said had a very specific application. They could have used many words for love because Greek had numerous words for different aspects of love. But they chose this word. The word is agape, agape, and it is the highest expression of love. It is a love that is deliberate. It's not an act of emotion, though it can be emotional. It's an act of the will. It is a love that is others focused. It's not a love that focuses on you. It's focused on others. It's a love that is sacrificial. In this word agape means that you're going to have to give in order to love like this, just as God so loved the world that He gave. It's that kind of love. It's a love that acts. It's not a love that can just watch and do nothing. It's a love that must act for others. That's what this word means. And this sets apart the kingdom of Jesus from the kingdom of mankind. There's never been a kingdom like it because it is completely, totally God-centered and others-focused. That's what His kingdom is about. God-centered, others-focused. And first commandment is love. Love is first. Let me tell you quickly six things that is first about love. Number one, love is the first quality of God. The Bible says love is of God because God is what? Love. Number two, love is not only the first quality of God, love is the first gift of God. The first gift of God. For God so loved, as I said, He gave. God's not a taker, He's a giver because He is love and love gives. Number three, love is first because love is the first mark of a disciple. What is the first mark of a person who has truly been born of God? Who knows God? Who is not just going to church but knows Christ? The first mark is love. Jesus said, by this, all men will know you're my true disciples if you have love one for another. Number four, love is first because it's the first expression of the fruit of the Spirit. When you are born by the Spirit of God, the Spirit lives within you and the fruit is the outgrowth of His nature in your life and the first aspect of the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is what? love. Number five, love is the first commandment. It's the first commandment. Jesus was asked, what is the greatest of all the commandments? And Jesus said, I will tell you, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And he said, I'll give you the second one just for free. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the commandments of God are wrapped up in one great, Royal commandment, love. Number six, love is the Lord's first concern. What's the Lord want to see in you? Want to see in me above everything else? No matter what we do, no matter how much we serve, no matter how much we give, no matter what we try to accomplish, what does the Lord want to see in us above all? He told a church one day, the church of Ephesus. In the book of the Revelation, chapter 2, he said, I know you. He said, I know that you have been faithful. I know that you have suffered. I know that you've been true to the word of God. I know that you've been persecuted. And I know that you cannot tolerate false doctrine. That's quite a church, right? And what did Jesus say? But I have something against you. You have left your first love. It's about me. You've left me. I'm not your devoted love as I once was. So Jesus begins this laying out of his constitution of of the faith of the kingdom. And his first command is a startling expression. It's a startling expression. You will love. You will love. But notice. It's what he added to that word love that made it just an incredible revolution. Jesus didn't come to be a revolutionary here on this earth. But Jesus was revolutionary. Notice what he said the extent of the love would be. Verse 27 he says, I want you to love and love your enemies. Now that was a jaw dropper. Moment, if Jesus had been holding a mic, it would have been mic drop. People looked up, say, What? What did he just say? I what? He, he put two words together that never went together. These words don't go together. Love and friends, love and family, love and companions. Love and neighbor, yeah, but love and enemy, what? What? Wait a minute. Now, you said, well, Sam, help us out here. A few minutes ago, you clarified the word love. So, Sam, could you just, you know, do a little deep dive in the Greek here? And could you just clarify the word enemy? And I'll be glad to. The word enemy means enemy. (laughs) That cleared up enemy. This is is not just kingdom policy. This is not the platform of a convention which is never acted on once the person is elected. This is not just words people spout on a platform but never carry out. This is kingdom, citizens' responsibility. Jesus said, If you are a part of my kingdom, you're one of my citizens, you are to do this personally. Notice, he says, you're to love your enemies, love your enemies. Not just your perceived enemies, not like thinking, well, you know, as nice as I am, it might be potentially possible that I could have an enemy. No, that's not what it means. If you follow me, Jesus says, you will have enemies. You you will have enemies. You will have personal enemies. So when Jesus says love your enemies, he's talking about people who have names. And you may know their names. You may have a list of them. You may have them in your device. (laughs) They have faces. And you may think they're quite ugly faces. They have attitudes, and you think all of them have earned their BA degree. They've got bad attitudes. They're your enemies. How could they be your enemy and not have a good attitude? How would that be possible? By their actions. They're mean to you. These are people who are mean to you. They're always mean. It would be natural to feel like a Taylor Swift song, All You'll Ever Be Is Mean. Well, how far do I have to go with that kind of love? I mean, Jesus, how far? I mean, okay. okay. I mean, really, what's this going to look like, Jesus? So he lets us see. Verse 27, he says, you're going to love your enemies. And this is what it's going to look like. You're going to do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And pray for those who abuse you you Now let's make sure what Jesus is saying here. I want to stop just for a moment, put a parenthesis here and make sure we understand something. We if we're not careful can take this so literally that we're literally foolish. Jesus is not saying listen carefully. He's not saying you become an enabler. You're not loving your enemy when you enable bad behavior. You're not loving someone when you enable immoral or illegal activities. You're not loving someone when you perpetuate their physical abuse. That's not love. The actions of your enemy here that we are to respond to this way, listen carefully, these are your personal enemies. These are not civil enemies. Some things are wrong because they're wrong against the God-ordained institutions and authorities of government. They're wrong. And as citizens of the kingdom, listen believers, as citizens of the kingdom, we are also citizens of the government in which we live. And it is our responsibility to... Act in justice, that is, that we are to promote and obey and express the just laws that uphold order in our society. This comes from God. I found very helpful what John MacArthur says here. Dr. John MacArthur, a pastor in Los Angeles area, well-known speaker, author. He says this, quote, the turn the other cheek rule here cannot be meant to keep civil government from punishing evildoers. To apply these principles in the civil area would be to surrender society to chaos. Civil government, civil government is ordained by God precisely, quote, for the punishment of evildoers, and the praise of those who do right. 1 Peter 2, 13 to 14, Romans 13, 4. Justice, listen carefully, Christian. Justice obligates us to both uphold the law and to insist that others do so as well. Reporting crime is both a civic responsibility and it is an an act of compassion. To excuse or help cover up the wrongdoing of others is an act of wicked complicity with evil. To fail to protect the innocent is itself a serious evil. That is a very powerful statement made by Dr. MacArthur in his exact agreement with the word of God. When Jesus is talking about enemies here and how we are to respond to enemies, He's not making this the laws of the land. He's not making this the way that the government is to operate. He's talking about His people and their personal enemies. How we're to act toward our personal enemies. God has ordained civil government. To uphold that which is just and right. To punish wrongdoing and to praise and support that which is right. That's the reason God has ordained civil government. And it is our responsibility as citizens to act in agreement with that. And when a Christian finds himself or herself involved in that which is against just laws... Which is in violation of people's personal rights. That is not love. Jesus speaks here of our personal enemy. And this is what makes it so difficult. Because you can't point your finger at the government. You can't say, well the government. You've got to talk about the government of the king in your own heart. And Jesus says, this is how you are to love your enemies. There was a great poet in the 19th century in England, Elizabeth Barrett Browning. And she was famous for one of her sonnets, which was titled, How Shall I Love Thee? What? Let me count the ways. And so here Jesus is counting for us the ways that we're to love. What does it mean to love your enemy? how How do I understand that? Jesus says, this is what it looks like. Number one, actions, words, and heart. Actions, words, and your heart. Actions do good to them. Verse 27, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. You're not responsible for their actions. You're responsible for your reactions. Then you're to love them in works. Look at verse 28. Bless those who curse you. Now cursing here doesn't mean somebody just has road rage at you (laughs) and gives some non-Sunday words. No, this means curses you, shames you, speaks against you, denounces you. What did he do to that person? You bless them. What's that mean? You don't return accusation for accusation. You return kind words. This is love. To bless here is a word of speech. Somebody gets down in the gutter, you can't get down there with them. You bless and then more most importantly, what do you do? You pray for them. Notice verse 28. Pray for those who abuse you. Now, abuse you here means a emotionally abused, verbally abused. And you pray for them. It's a deliberate choice. You do this trusting in the love of Christ in your heart. You do it in submission to His commandment. Whether you feel it in your heart or not. Don't allow yourself to say, well, if I don't feel it, I'm not going to be a hypocrite and do something I don't feel. Don't, don't do that. You do this and you will feel it. You'll feel the joy of the Lord in your heart and the smile of heaven. But you can't wait around and say, Well, when I really feel warm fuzzies toward my enemy, then I'll do these things. That's not what Jesus is saying. He says, You do these things and you'll know my spirit approving and blessing you. It's a deliberate choice. You'll bless yourself and others. I remember years ago when Susan and I were first married and we had started seminary and it was a recession. At that time, jobs were very few, looked everywhere. Finally, the only job I could get was working at an Ivy's department store, Ivy's department store. And uh, I went in, they saw a young man, about 22, and they thought, oh, he'll be just the guy to work in our way in shop. You know, like cool, groovy. You might want to look up some of those words. Way in. Yeah. Okay. You're just the guy. So I got a job in the way in shop. I hated it. Hated the job. Didn't like it. All the material made my made me sneeze all the time. Got tired of folding stuff, see guys throw it on the floor. No respect. Grumpy. Couple of ladies worked in the department, they always always fussing at each other and trying to get me to come and take sides. Cross the aisle with some guy that went to Baptist church or such and he always wanted to tell me dirty jokes. <laughs> Thought it would he got he got jollies out of telling a seminary student dirty jokes, trying to. And then on top of that, the other aisle was a guy from New York City, he was a shoe salesman and anybody that walked through his department, anybody and everybody walked through his department he said the same thing. Something in a casual you were looking for. Something in a casual you are looking for. A thousand times a day I'd hear it in my sleep and a something in a casual you were working for. I couldn't stand it. I thought I'd run out the back door. If he said something in a casual, I'll get casual. And I was just, I mean, I, I hated the job. And I'm going to seminary to be a pastor. Oh, yeah, this is great. This is the Lord's got me in seminary. It's one of the best classes I ever took. I hated it. But I've started reading passages like this. You're there to love. You're there to bless, and you know what? I started praying for those people. I started working harder and started helping people do a little more, be nice. And you couldn't imagine the amazing change that happened in me. I couldn't believe it. I like start. Well, this not so bad. You know, that's not so bad. I'm actually learning a pretty good New York dialect from the guy. Something in cash. I'll use that someday in a sermon. (laughs) Then I got a call to come see the store manager. Oh, Oh, great. Oh, no, I need this job. Call in store manager. He says, Sam, Sam, isn't it? I said, yes, sir, Sam. He said, heard about you. He said, your department, director says you're the greatest thing that ever happened to the department. And then he said, you know, I know you're a Christian man. I know you're studying for ministry, right? Yes, sir. He said, I'm Christian too. That's been a tough department. Thank you, son, for being a light in there. We're going to give you a raise. (laughs) Love your enemies. It will change you if it doesn't change them. But it will be costly. You know what will happen? It will cost you to love. Love is not cheap. It it will cost you your dignity. It will cost you sometimes property. That's what Jesus said. Look at verse 29. If you are going to love like this, he says, To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. Now, let's look at this. He says, love can cost you your dignity. The slap on the face here is not a punch in the nose. It's not being cornered in a dark alley as you go out to your car. This is someone who wants to express their ultimate disdain for you. And it's a slap across the face. We all understand that? That's what it is. Jesus is saying. He's speaking in hyperbole. He's speaking in exaggeration. If a person disdains you so much that they even slap uh, your cheek, don't you dare retaliate over yourself. Turn the other cheek. Show them you are controlled by a true higher power in your heart. Power of love. That's how you treat an enemy. And he says love can cost you property. You should be so concerned about the person's soul. You should be so concerned about this person who is your enemy. Who needs to know the same Savior that saved you when you were his enemy. Right? That if you have to, don't hold back. Give him the shirt off your back. That's where this expression comes from. The shirt off your back. Don't just give him your coat. Give him the shirt off your back. Why? Because the world doesn't operate that way. Here's how the world operates. You scratch my back and I'll scratch your back. Jesus says, uh-uh. You be willing for the sake of a person knowing my love. Give them a shirt off your back. Love does this. Love goes above and beyond. Love is so concerned about the needs of others that love is ready to sacrifice. You say, well, Sam, <laughs> this ain't natural. <laughs> this. This, this is not natural, right? It's not natural. It's supernatural. It's supernatural. Why is it supernatural? Because it doesn't start within you, it starts from above you. When you're born again, you're born from above. And the supernatural God, the Lord God Almighty, who is real, He comes and lives in your heart. He pours out the reality of his spirit and you are born again. And now you can do this. You can do this because it's not you in yourself. It's God in you and through you. And you can do this. That's what Paul meant when he wrote this in Romans chapter 5. If you would, look on the, up here on the screen. Romans chapter 5, verses 3 to 5. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that sufferings produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. Hope does not put us to shame. Why? Because God's love has been poured out in our hearts. Through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. When you trusted Jesus as your Savior. In the moment of your conversion by the grace of God. The Spirit of God and His love came and was poured out in you. And you can love like this. Because God is in you in Christ. Now our king Jesus he's teaching and he recognizes that what he is saying is so unnatural that people are going to have some objections. So like any good speaker, any good person who's trying to cut off objections, what does he do? He goes ahead and he answers the objections before they're asked by asking a question himself. He knows what people are thinking. And so he says, all right, if this troubles you, just examine your love. What's the examination of love? Look at it here. Verse 32. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners, meaning even those who are far from God and rebelling against God, they love those who love them. And if you do good only to people who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And then Jesus gets down in a banking illustration. He says, But if you only lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit, (laughs) that's a banking term, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners. And they get back the same meaning, the same in interest. What's Jesus saying? Examine your love by the world standard. He's saying, you think it's anything special if you only love like the world loves? You think it's any testimony if you only love like people who don't know God love? You think there's any light in the darkness when you love people who love you? You treat people the way they treat you? You think that is a special credit? Friends, listen. The world standard is pretty low for love, wouldn't you say? Pretty low. I heard about a pastor one time. He was asked to conduct a funeral service. And the funeral service was for a man who had known ties to organized crime. He was asked to do the funeral. He thought, well, maybe I can do some good by sharing the word, so I'll do the funeral. And as he was waiting out in the parlor to go in to speak, a man comes up to him. Dark suit, dark shirt, dark tie, says to him, Preacher, I I want you to say my brother was a saint. Excuse me, Preacher said, I I want you to say my brother was a saint. And the pastor says, I'm sorry, sir, I I can't do that. Preacher, I was was ready to give you $10,000 if you do that for your church. Preacher said, let me think about it. (laughs) So he thought about it. He went up to the platform, the coffin was there. The pastor stood and said, This man was a lying, cheating, violent crook. But compared to his brother, he was saint. Think about it. Did you ever watch those mafia movies? They go out and whack somebody. Bump them off. And then they come and do what? Hug each other and kiss each other on cheek. Rob, pillage, murder, mayhem. And kiss each other on cheek. Because they're of the same brotherhood. Over the years, I've seen a number of grave markers, as I've done all scores and scores, hundreds of funerals. And I've seen several. I've seen several grave markers that say this over a man. I've seen these. He was faithful to his friends. He was faithful to his friends. And I understand that that's a way of trying to speak kindly of this man. But honestly, when I see see that, what I think is, what a wasted life. You live your life and you were faithful to your friends. That's not what the Lord wants with our lives. He wants us to do better than that. He wants us to aim higher than that. Being faithful to your friends. What credit is that? Even the mafiosos do that. See, we've been called to the highest example. Jesus says, listen... You are citizens of my kingdom, and I want to call you to the highest example. And what's the highest example of love for enemies? It's the Heavenly Father. The example of love. Look at verse 35. Here's the example of love. But love your enemies. He repeats it love your enemies, do good to them. Lend to them expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great. You will be rewarded from the Lord. You will be rewarded for obedience to Him. But something is more priceless than any reward you could ever get from the Lord. Here's the greatest reward. And you will be sons of the Most High. You will be expressing the same kind of nature as the children of the Most High. For He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Therefore, be merciful even as your Father is Merciful. When it comes to loving our enemies, the Heavenly Father is our role model. In another passage in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says these same things. And then you what he adds, he adds this phrase. He is good to the just and the unjust. He causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. Last night we had an incredible rainstorm, at least where I live. About 3 a.m. it was pouring, pouring, wind was beating against the windows, it was pouring. And I woke up because it was so loud I heard the pouring rain. You know what I did? I smiled a big smile. You know why? Because I had my backyards covered with sod a few weeks ago. (laughs) And it's been dry. Very dry. You can't let new sod get dry. And if it doesn't get rain from the sky, it's got to get water somewhere else. Guess where it has to get the water from? Out of your spigots. Last week, We were contacted from the water company (laughs) telling us we should check to see if we have a leak in the line. (laughs) When the water company calls you to check up on your usage of water, that's not a good thing. Uh Uh-uh. So I'm last night, 3 a.m., praise God from whom all... I I mean, I get a day off. Maybe two days out of this. But guess what? Here I am there lying in bed. Susan next to me. We love God. We've tried to s- serve Him faithfully. And it's raining on our sod. And guess what? There's somebody who hasn't thought about God in years. Crooked. Cheating people, bad neighbor, and guess what? He's getting rain on his sod too. You know why? Because God's like that. God's good to people who are not good to Him. And don't you praise God for that? Think about it. You better think about it. Don't ever ask God to be fair with you. You don't want God to be fair. Fair is getting what you deserve. You want what you deserve? The wages of sin is death. It wasn't fair for Jesus to come to the earth. It wasn't fair for Jesus to be nailed to the cross. It wasn't fair that my sins nailed him there. It wasn't fair that my sin was like the spittle on his face. That wasn't fair. It was grace and mercy and love. How can we bask in the unmerited love of God and withhold it from our enemy? Do we follow his example? I want to ask you one thing as we close. Are you a law-abiding citizen? Are you a law-abiding citizen? Be careful, wait. This is the constitution of Christianity. This is the law of the kingdom. Are you a law-abiding citizen of the kingdom? Of your Savior. We've been called to a higher standard. Higher standard than the civil code of Knox County or Knoxville. Higher standard than the state code of Tennessee. Higher standard than to the laws and the Constitution of the United States. We've been called to the standard of the kingdom of God. And guess what? By the Spirit of God within us, we can be law-abiding citizens. And the law of the kingdom is what? Love. All the law is fulfilled in one word. Love. I didn't miss this verse. I close with it. Verse 31. Some of you say, he went right over the most important. No, because it's all summed up in this. Jesus is so wonderful. Wonderful. He so wants us to get this, he so wants us to get it, that he makes one statement that was completely revolutionary. Verse 31, as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. What do we call that? The golden rule. It's the rule. That rules over all. As you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Now, let me tell you how revolutionary this was. God's so awesome. The greatest rabbi in the history of Judaism. The greatest rabbi in the history of Judaism was a man by the name of Rabbi Hillel. Hillel. He lived to be a 100. He lived to be a 100 and he lived in Jerusalem. He was born in 90 B.C. and he died in 10 A.D. And when he was asked, What is the greatest of all the laws, this is what Rabbi Hillel said, he said this. What is hateful to you, do not do to another. That is the whole law and the rest is explanation. What is hateful to you, do not do that to another. That's the whole law. And the rest is explanation. Notice, he lived from 90 B.C. to 10 A.D. in Jerusalem. Now the rest of the story. When Jesus was 12 years of age. He went to the temple. He went into the seminary of the temple. And when he was 12 years old, the dean of the temple seminary was Rabbi Hillel. And we're told that Jesus astounded the theologians with his wisdom. And I wonder if the boy Jesus didn't say to Rabbi Hillel, respected rabbi, I must disagree with your statement. Because it's negative. It's negative. What's hateful to you, do not do to another. This is the whole law. Rabbi, that is not accurate. The whole law is positive. Do unto others what you would have them do to you. This is God's law. Not, don't do to others what you wouldn't have them do to you. That's negative. That's human. This is divine. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's of God. That's love. And that changes everything. And it changes us. Lord, what wondrous love is this, oh, my soul, oh, my soul, this love of God in Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray, baptize us with your love, baptize us with your love, wash out the noise, wash out the anger, Wash out the scenes that reach to the darkest parts of our nature. Baptize us, Lord, with your love by your Spirit. That we may be those people who are the light of this world. Shining the darkness because we do unto others as we would have them do to us. Because this is like you, Heavenly Father. And we will do this. In the name of Jesus, by the power of your spirit and the people of God said.